We have two readings uh, this morning um, for the uh, scripture reading for today's service. Uh, the first comes from uh, 1 Timothy, not 2 Timothy as uh, written down the, in the, um, the, the bulletin this morning. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, the uh, verses 3 through to 8. And the second reading comes uh, to us from Mark, both New Testament readings. Right, so we just turn to 1 Timothy. Timothy chapter 5 starting at verse 3 where we where it reads honor widows who are truly widows but if a widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, commanding these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And the... Uh, Second reading, the text out today comes from Mark chapter 7. We will read the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7, where we read, Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they had washed their hands, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And there are many other traditions that they observed, such as washing the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart, heart is, far, is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you have gained for me is Corban, that is, given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So far, God's word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we consider it this morning. 
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we hear again the the summons of our Lord Jesus Christ to know Your law and to follow it, but also to recognize how misguided our practices can be, our traditions might be. Lord, we pray that You would help us to again plumb the depths of our heart to reflect Your heart. Bless us with the presence of your Spirit that as as we hear your word, what needs to be changed will be conformed to the teaching of your Son, to the teaching of your word, to the will of your word for our lives. And so strengthen us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we pick up our text this morning, it is verses 9 through 13, but, but in this portion of Scripture in, in uh, chapter 7, Jesus is defending himself against the charges of the Pharisees and the scribes who have, have come to, to trip him up. And, and there's three parts to this defense. It's what we considered last time in, in verses 1 through 8, dealing with hypocrisy. And then it's our text today dealing with misguided piety. And then it's also Jesus' teaching of the people, a right way to consider God's word and to follow his word and to avoid those things that that flow out of our hearts. And that's what God is really concerned with. The first two are, are directed specifically towards the Pharisees and the scribes. One is directed to the people to, to strengthen us positively. Now remember, the, the first warning is against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, you'll recall, is, is not something associated religiously with the church as it is today, but in Jesus' day it was with the theater. It was play acting. It was putting on a mask, a concern with appearances only. And this is what Jesus warns against, that, that a danger is, is we can go through some particular motions and we can disengage the heart. Well, this morning we we carry on with Jesus' uh, uh, defense against the charge of the Pharisees, and and Jesus exposes their misguided piety. Piety is just how we express our faith in the Lord, our submission to God. And Jesus warns about this in verses 9 and 13, some very significant warnings. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. Imagine that. He's taking it right to their heart. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. In verse 13, you make void the word of God by your traditions. Now, traditions are helpful things. They help us. They're habits that we follow. Some of the times they can be dangerous. And Jesus says there's two dangers. You reject the commandment and you make void the word of God by the traditions that you practice. The danger that Jesus is addressing here is not hypocrisy, though it's closely related to hypocrisy, as the preceding verses remind us. Uh, uh, Matthew actually, in his account, actually flips these two two, uh, addresses of Jesus around. Uh, Mark presents them in this order, and I think Jesus is building his case in, in this way. And what he's addressing here is legalism. And legalism is the danger of putting up a traditional or a a legal framework that is so rigid that it actually violates God's law. 
I don't know if you drove past the church when they were building the church, but before everything was finished, they had a structure, a very rigid structure of scaffolding around the building. And that is the way that they were using their tradition. It was so the workers could work safely on the outside of the building, and it was a very rigid structure. It was safe so that as they, they carried the materials up, now, it would be silly to, to just maintain the scaffolding. And, and when the church was opened, we, we didn't want the scaffolding up there to stand in awe of the scaffolding. That's not the purpose of the scaffolding. It has a purpose, but that purpose is temporary. It's limited. The structure is what God wants us to follow. And that's the structure of his word. And that's the structure of his law. And the danger of legalism is that it becomes toxic in our expressions of piety, because we, we look at the scaffolding and we say, wow, isn't that amazing scaffolding? And you go into some of the big cities and, and you see the scaffolding on some of the buildings and it is astounding scaffolding. But that's not the point. This becomes toxic because it sounds so committed. It arises from a legal concern that the Pharisees and the scribes had for godliness. They were concerned that people follow the law. And so they established all manner of tradition as scaffolding to try and support them as they, they looked. And, and Jesus says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is a violation of God's law, actually. And so as we consider heart issues again, this is something that Jesus takes to our hearts as he does to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, be aware of the danger of misguided piety. Last time it was, it was hypocrisy of play acting, of putting up a front. Now it's the practice of misguided piety. As we consider what Jesus is teaching us this morning, I'd like us to consider three things. First of all, the practice. Secondly, the problem. And thirdly, the priority. The practice, the problem, and the priority. First of all, what is Jesus getting at here? What is this, this practice of Corban? Corban was, was a, a real practice. It actually comes from a Hebrew word. And in the Old Testament, it simply means gift. It surrounds the giving of gifts. And helpfully, Mark translates it here for us in verse 11, that which is given to God. Because he's writing, remember, to a Gentile audience who probably would hear this word and they'd say, what in the world is this Corbin notion? It's about giving and gifts. And let me illustrate it this way. Suppose we have a Jew, we'll call him Joseph. He's a man who was blessed in Israel and, and he wanted to give a piece of property or, or a particular gift to the Lord. He was doing well for himself, and, and Joseph could then simply look at this gift, and he could say, Corban. And in the Jewish way of working, this was a vow. It means that, that what he received or had as property or, or had set apart as a gift, he had dedicated to the Lord. It's a formal sort of gift, a vow which he had taken. And now while Joseph lived... He could continue to use the property. So if it was a piece of land, he could continue to grow crops on it. If it was a, a, a gift of, of jewelry or a, a gift of, of uh, ornamentation, a gift of gold, he, he could continue to, to use it to decorate his house. But eventually, it would go to the Lord. He had given it to the Lord. Now, supposing early on he'd given, Joseph had given this gift, and, 
And later on, there's a hardship that arises with Joseph's parents. And he wanted to help. So he would go to the scribes and the Pharisees and say, I know I've dedicated this gift or this property. I know I've dedicated it to the Lord, but now my parents are in need. And I would like to, to be relieved of this vow. Notice what Jesus says here. And he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this in verse 12. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father. The scribes and the Pharisees would hear his case. They would recognize the need. And they would recognize that if he could be relieved of his vow, he could care for his parents in his need. But they said, no, no. You've designated what you are going to give as Corbin. And that's an enduring vow. It can only be used by you or the Lord. Its proceeds cannot be used to help your parents. Now that would be a practice where Joseph actually wanted to provide for his parents, where Joseph was honorable. What happens if there was someone in Israel who wasn't getting along with his parents and actually didn't want to support them in their old age? We'll call this man not Joseph, but Jacob. Not a reflection of anyone's name in the congregation, but this is Jacob of the Old Testament era, who was a bit of a schemer. He was a bit of a deceiver. And this joke, Jacob, I almost called him Joker, Jacob, he knows the rules. And he isn't getting along so well with his parents, and, and he's got a fair bit of wealth, and all of a sudden his parents have a need but he doesn't want to part with that which is so close to his heart. What's he going to do? Ah, he's got it. Corbin. I'll just say Corbin. Mom and Dad, what, what, what I should be using for you, I'm going to dedicate to the Lord. I'm no longer socially or legally obliged to help my parents. In their need. And you know the beauty of it is he could still gain the benefits from it himself. He could still use the property. He could still use the gifts that he was going. And you see, this is a heart issue. Jacob would manipulate his giving to God in such a way that he could gain the proceeds. Or Joseph, the scribes and the Pharisees would say no, because ultimately you're going to enrich our coffers with that. And this is the practice that Jesus is addressing. And it's with the sanctioning of the scribes and, and this legal scheme. It sounds so pious. I have given this gift to God. It's Corbin. But it's just the legal scaffolding that's used to dismiss God's And that's the problem that Jesus addresses that secondly. He says they violate, and he says it specifically, you violate the, the commandment of God. Not the commandments, but the commandment of God. You make void His Word by this legal tradition. What's the problem? 
It reminds us again, zeal for following the law is not always a zeal for following God. Let me repeat that. The problem here is that zeal for following the law is not always a zeal for following God. And Jesus exposes the way that God's Word can be so easily manipulated and maneuvered and misapplied. One of the questions we we need to remember when we answer the question about our habits, about our traditions, about our understandings, about our practices of things. One of the questions we need to remember when we answer questions about what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, is are we following God's heart? Is this God's will, or is it just a practice we've developed that's kind of like the scaffolding around the structure that that can help us to escape? What had happened here? They had separated the law, the law of giving, which sounds so good, but they had separated that law from the lawgiver. That's what legalism does. Legalism makes following the law an end in itself. Your whole purpose in life is to make sure you stand on the scaffolding and avoid the structure. It makes following the law your whole goal. I will do my duty no matter what the consequences. This Corbin, under the guise of dedication to God, overthrew the very law that God had given regarding the honoring of of parents. It sounds in their society and so often in our society when we have these traditions like an honorable commitment, but not when measured according to God's law, then it falls short. And consider how Jesus addresses this problem. He said, Moses said, honor your father and mother. That is what's close to God's heart, the fifth commandment. But then he goes even further and he cites one of the more difficult case laws of the Old Testament. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Boys and girls, I don't know if you've ever read through Deuteronomy. There's a There's a a part in Deuteronomy that that reflects the teaching of this case law in Exodus 21. It says if if a a parent has an incorrigible child, they're to bring this incorrigible child. Now, an incorrigible child is a child that just will not obey their parents. They're to bring them to the elders. And based upon the elders' decision, they're to stone that child, put him to death. You think, wow, that's pretty severe. God was pretty harsh. It seems so unchristlike, but here is Christ citing the very similar case law on which this is based in Exodus 21. What this is talking about is capital punishment for dishonoring parents. Boys and girls, think about that the next time there's a temptation to disobedience. 
But that's not the point of the law now, is it? Now we're building the structure again. Why is God so severe? Why is God so rigid about this? Because there is a depth in the family relationship that is close to God's heart in a relationship of submission and honor to those who are in authority over us directly with regard to our parents that God wants us to be sure to protect. This is why William read 1 Timothy 5. It is one of the unique places in Scripture that God warns us that there is something worse than being an unbeliever. Did you hear that? Worse than being an unbeliever. Worse than being someone outside of Christ. If anyone does not, not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is the heart of God. When God gives us the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, He's not just talking about how we grow up obeying the rules of mom and dad. He's reminding us that the, the family unit and the household unit is something that is very near and dear to God's heart. And this is why positively he expresses this most graciously. And isn't it wondrous how God does, us, does this as Paul reminds us, if, if this obedience of parents seems so hard and so difficult, God says there's a promise. It will go well with you. That because this is how God will bless you. And Jesus here is exposing the problem and he's exposing the hearts of these Pharisees and these scribes and these deceitful Jacobs who would live in Israel. It's not that they were concerned with what God wanted. They were actually violating God's word. These scribes and Pharisees made rulings not guided by God's heart, but guided by a heart that flourished in, in legal applications to the smallest degree, so that if you said Corbin, you were no longer obligated to God. You could abandon your parents. You could neglect them. And that's the problem of legalism. It celebrates the structure of the law while it all the time avoids the heart of the complex, the wonder of who God is. Now, how does this apply to us? What can we say about this? Do, do we stand in this danger? What is the priority of the heart of God? And God calls us to maintain His priority in the care for the family. You see, God has blessed husbands and wives, parents and children in such a way that he regards this as, a, as a, uh, the, the framework, as, as the building block of a society, 
it's beautiful in our, or in our form for marriage. It, it recognizes that a joining together of a man and a woman in the bond of marriage is the building block of society. Not because it's a social invention, but because this is what God's word says. This is what is the heart of God, that, that he has sanctioned marriage as that place where we are to have sexual expression. Now the world abandons this and avoids this and says, no, you can have it anywhere you like. God's word says the sexual relationship between a man and a woman is so special, so sacred, so spiritual and significant that I want it protected, protected in the bonds of holy matrimony. It's not only a building block of society, it's a building block of the church. The family, you see, the family is God's unique gift where love is shown where two sinners have to learn uh, through the, 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 the challenges and trials of life to show love, sacrificial love, husbands with their wives, submissive lo love, wives with their husbands. And from that, the, the, the framework, and, and if God blesses with children, to allow grace to flourish as we, we carry on with sinners, with, with all of our failings, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our bad habits. To learn how to love and to show grace to those who are in need. And both love and grace flow from God's heart and are what give strength to the bond of our relationship in the family. And so parents, teach your children and in your teaching, target their hearts. That your appeal for their obedience is not so that they be scaffold builders, and learn how to obey just for the sake of obedience because I say so. But because God's heart is there in what they're doing and how they respond to their parents. And those without children to assist parents. One of the blessings of, of the church community is the blessing of how those without children can be an encouragement in the challenges of child rearing. To know the goal that God has for our families and to assist with this because parents can't do it alone. We need God. And children, don't be satisfied that you've just followed the rules or you've stretched the rules to such a degree that, that you're still within them. But give God your heart and seek to serve Him. When your parents' uh, rules don't seem fair, don't seem just, to follow God in the way you live under your parents. And as your parents age, your relationship with them changes. And as you get married, you have the privilege. And a time may come when we do have to care for our aged parents. 
to again learn to show them love and grace. And it might not be the love and grace that they have shown to you. But you know what? You're called to something different here in the church. You're called not to follow their example of love and grace, but Christ's. Christ's example. Because your parents, as they age, will lose the plot, will be grumpy, will be ornery. And it's the privilege to show them the grace and the love that Christ has shown to you. And you might be tempted to say, oh, but they don't deserve that. And you're right. But neither do you. And you have a calling to serve Christ because that's God's heart. You see, being a covenant child is more than the obligations of obedience. That's to be satisfied with the scaffolding, with the externals, with the laws and the rules, rather than the heart of God's Word. It's the privilege, being a covenant child is the privilege of knowing and showing. Knowing and showing the love and the grace that God has shown to you in the rough and tumble, and believe me, it is rough and tumble, in the rough and tumble world of family life. The family is God's training ground for the growth and grace. Recently, I've been reading a book, Live Not By Lies. It's by Rod Dreher. Rod Dreher is a journalist, and he's interviewed a number of Christians who have survived communism in Eastern Europe. And one of the things he said that was at the heart of their being able to stand against all the oppression and the hostility of communism and the, the persecution of those who would stand for the truth was the fact that the parents knew what was going on around them and were diligently teaching their children to follow God no matter what the government says. To do what's right and pleasing in His eye. And He says their families became a launching pad for the Gospel. It was the family flourishing in grace. The family uniquely equipped to show love and grace to those who were unworthy and to those whose faults were known and with whom they were familiar. It was the family that became the strongest political force for the overthrow of tyranny. Not in and of itself. But do you see that this is God's heart? This is God's grace. This is what God loves. And this is the promise that God had given. A number of those people who, whose parents were, were put into prison remembered the times they sat around as families in the quiet without anyone else in the world knowing on what was going on. And they talked about who God was and about how certainly He was in control. And God sustained them so that when the parents were imprisoned, the children knew their God. We need to make the family 
the springboard for engaging in God's grace and showing God's love. And now we don't live in persecution, but we live in a world where families are destitute and broken and shattered. And God's law has been abandoned. And we have the privilege of using what God has blessed us with to reach out to others and to show them the grace and the love that God has. Sharing your love. No, sharing His love with others who are outside. Opening our homes, making ourselves vulnerable to give people a glimpse of what is close to God's heart. All of us need to remember that God's law can only flourish and function when it is rooted and grounded in the gospel of God. Otherwise, we'll become master lawyers like these scribes and Pharisees and look for ways to get off the hook in doing what God wants. As we close this morning, I'd like to read a quote from Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary on this portion of Scripture. I want to read it because I was struck by it and also because I think it's helpful. Helpful for you to hear and helpful for you to consider and helpful for us to think about how we strive to follow God's heart. He says this, The Pharisees had begun as a group of people deeply concerned for personal purity. The Pharisees had begun as a group of people deeply concerned for personal purity. Their theology was orthodox. It means it was spot on. But when a desire for holiness coupled with an orthodox theology is linked to a heart that is closed to God's grace. However much they profess a theology of grace, he says, tragedy results. Let me read that again. When a desire for holiness, coupled with an orthodox theology, is linked to a heart that is closed to God's grace, however much they might profess a theology of grace, whenever that happens, tragedy results. That is as true today as it was in Jesus' time. Be warned. You see, being in a family is not about getting the rules right. It's about reflecting the gospel and the grace of God. A grace so special, so privileged, that God sanctioned a family as that place where it can flourish. Obedience can only get close to God's design when it flows from hearts that are astounded by God's grace. When God's love is shown just as much as God's law, then you are close to the heart of God. Then the scaffolding doesn't. Well, it still matters. But you've arrived at the place to celebrate. 
Jesus says, be warned. Be warned. Where's your heart? Where's your heart for God? Where's your heart for his law? Where's your heart for his family? Where's your heart for his grace? Amen.